All right. Well, welcome to Vision of Zion. I'm Craig Perry. With me is my guest, Sean White. Hello, Sean. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me tonight. You bet. We've had a long gap in between publishing Isaiah chapter 28 and 29. As you can probably tell, I'm in my winter garb, long sleeve shirt, a beanie, uh, and the date today is December 27th, 2023, just to give you some a marker of time. All right, I'm resuming now our recording. I've got the screen share figured out. It's amazing what you forget if you haven't done it repeatedly. Uh, we're now looking at Sean's screen and his notes on Isaiah 29. Sean, I think you're going to go ahead and read these uh, while people follow along. And just to point out, again, you can find these um, writings on our website that we will reference. Go ahead, Sean. Especially on this chapter, you might want to print it out to follow along to help you understand what's happening here. And since it's been a little while since we've looked at these chapters, let's review for a second the journey that we've been through with Isaiah. Chapters 1 through 27 have been an overview of the vision of Isaiah has received of the last days or the seven years of tribulation. Now Isaiah is going to going back to the beginning and adding specific detail about each of the years of tribulation. Then in chapter 41, Isaiah will shift his focus to the servant and the finer details of the servant's role in his development. <clears throat> in this chapter, we will compare the Dead Sea Scrolls to the words of Lehi's son Nephi in 2 Nephi 26 and 27. As Lehi and his family left Jerusalem, they took copies of several books of Scripture. This chapter is linked to the words of the previous chapter in Isaiah 28. This passage will describe the events of the period of the second trump, which is described in Revelations 8.8, as I saw it. Um, the other day I had an experience, which I think is very revealing, concerning these last day scriptures. I was shown a family putting together a box a big puzzle like we do at Christmas time. And Heavenly Father was showing me that there were like 12 boxes to make this complete puzzle. And without the 12 boxes, you couldn't complete the puzzle. You would be missing big blank pieces. And I began to understand from Heavenly Father that these were scriptures and books of scriptures that we had to understand that. Um, for example, we often think of the book of Revelations, but there's Daniel and Micah and Isaiah and Second Nephi and many other examples of the pieces that put together this big picture. And if we don't use all the boxes or all the scriptures, we don't get a complete picture of what Heavenly Father is trying to have us see with all this. You know, if I could just add something real quick. It, the number 12 is interesting because there are 12 tribes of Israel. All Virtually all of the scriptures in the New and Old Testament come from uh, the house of Judah, I believe, and or those who were, uh, yeah, house of Judah. And we know that uh, the Book of Mormon people uh, were from the tribe of Manasseh. And we also are told that the 10 tribes, which are separated from us, quote-unquote lost, that they have kept records. And, and so we are going to have 
records from all 12 tribes to put together this picture. Exactly. Let's go back for just a second to chapter 28 of Isaiah to get our thought train flowing of what Isaiah is trying to say here. In Isaiah 28, 18, your covenant with death shall be annulled, and your agreement with souls shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. As often as it passes through, it will seize you, for morning by morning it will pass through, day by night, and it will begin be nothing but a terror to understand the message as you follow the advice of man and trust in what man says more than God, this flooding scourge of illness will overrun you day after day. The advice that you took from man will plague your thoughts to the point that you are terrified of thinking of this illness killing you. So here we have the stage set ahead of us here. If you want to go ahead and uh, read verse 1 here from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 1. Woe to Ariel, Ariel, <clears throat> the city where David encamped. Add year to year. Let the feasts come around and, excuse me, then I will distress Ariel and there will be mourning and lamentation. She shall be to me as an altar hearth. I will camp against you all around you and will lay siege against you. With posted troops, I will siege works against you. You will be brought down and will speak out of the ground. Your speech will mumble out of the dust. Your speech will be as one who has a familiar spirit out of the ground, and your speech will whisper out of the dust. Let's look at another group of people that had the words of Isaiah. Nephi was a prophet on the American continent. He was the son of Lehi. They were Israelites from the tribe of Manasseh. He lived with his family in the Jerusalem area during the reign of King Zedekiah in about 600 BC. He saw a vision of the future destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians who were ruled by the king of Assyria. Lehi decided to leave with others and sailed to the American continent. Before Lehi's family left, he took copies of the things past prophets had spoken, which included the words of Isaiah. They took copies of what the past prophets had said from Laban, who was the record keeper. In the passage below from Second Nephi 26, Nephi is sitting down with his brethren discussing the words of Isaiah and how Isaiah's prophecies will affect them. Do you want to read that verse, Craig? Second Nephi 26.15 after my seed and the seed of my brethren shall have dwindled in unbelief and shall have been smitten by the Gentiles, yea, after the Lord God had shall have camped against them round about and shall have laid siege against them with a mount and raised forts against them. And after they shall have been brought low, excuse me, down low in the dust, even that they are not, yet the words of the righteous shall be written and the prayers of the faithful shall be heard and all those who have dwindled in unbelief shall not be forgotten. When Nephi says, my seed and the seed of my brethren, he is referring to the Nephites and his brothers, which are, were described as Lamanites. They are all a part of the tribe of Manasseh. Nephi notes, they will dwindle in unbelief as they are smitten by the Gentiles. If you'll read Second, that next verse. Second Nephi 27.1, but behold, 
In the last days were in the days of the Gentiles, yea, behold, all nations of the Gentiles and also the Jews, both those who shall come upon this land and those who shall be upon other lands, yea, even upon all the lands of the earth, behold, they will be drunken with iniquity and all manner of abominations. This gives quite a and dreary bleak view of the world and the things that are going on and yet we can kind of see it today let's look at what an altar hearth is an altar hearth is a place where the offerings where the israelites brought their offerings to be given to the lord the offerings were burnt to a state of ashes and then properly taken care of by priests of the tribe of levi so this city Ariel, the place where God's word comes forth as a lion, will become an altar hearth. The altar hearth is a center that must be hot enough to burn the sacrifice, to purify the sacrifice, to be worthy, to give it to God. In 3 Nephi 8, verse 8, this and the city of Zarahemla did take fire. We see a once righteous city become wicked. The Lord finds it necessary to burn it to the ground before his son comes during that first period to destroy the wicked. Now, why would God cause a religious center, the place where his word comes from, to his people to become an altar hearth? The answer is to purify his people. God wants his people to remove the spiritual impurities from these people in metallurgical terms. This is called dross. The term dross is used throughout the scriptures to address God's method of refining his people. I, in my own practice, being a, through college and my years of welding and mill writing, saw many times when we had to melt metal and the dross, the impurities had to be skimmed off the top to so that the steel could be strengthened and uh, be strong enough to withhand because with the impurities in there it could as you poured it and formed it it could be easily broken so I was that caused this. by the heat that was generated during the uh, melting pro smelting process no it usually is within the steel itself and sometimes if you're using old like or casting aluminum you could have paint in there or you could have other impurities that were put in with the aluminum and those need to be cleaned off the top. Or in the case of steel, you had to have coke added to it and different things, which mm -hmm. all those impurities had to be cleaned off the top, depending on the one. So in reviewing both of these passages, we see God will lay seas against each one of the tribes of Israel at the spiritual center of their house of God. He does it because the house of Israel is drunken, with iniquity and all manner of abominations. God's army will surround these cities, causing God's protection to be withdrawn from these cities. He will allow the adversary to raise siege against the whole of the house of Israel, to purify them and separate the wheat from the tares. Isaiah is speaking to the whole of the house of Israel. In Isaiah 29, verse 1, Isaiah talks about the Lord encamping around the city of Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Anciently, the city of Ariel was thought to be near Tel Aviv on the West Bank, and yet others say it is Jerusalem itself. The Hebrew meaning of Ariel means Lion of God or Altar of God. Let's step back for a minute and look. On February 24, 2022, we saw Russia invade Ukraine. Kiev 
in Ukraine is the center of the Russian Orthodox Church, the place where their serapum, which are their prophets, speak from. Now, in the news, since October 7, 2023, we see the land of Israel under siege. They have seemingly lost the protection that God once gave them. They, the tribe of Judah, have dwindled in unbelief. Only 33% of the Jewish people in Israel are active in their religion. In recent weeks, it is reported that Israel is the LGBTQ plus capital of the world. This is similar to the Jews in Germany during World War II concerning the LGBTQ plus issues. Now, by the end of this year, 2023, the United Methodist Church will have lost 5,641 congregations. Now, we don't, I don't know how many people that is, but that's congregations. That's huge over issues concerning same-sex marriage and gay clergy. By the way, there's an article in the Salt Lake Tribune that I came across today. <clears throat> Just to adjust that number upward, they have about... Um, well, they said that roughly one-fourth are leaving, and that is now up to 7,500 congregations, uh, the total number lost since 2019. It's just hard to comprehend. And they're that. a church of 8 million, 8 million Methodists, so a fourth of that. Um, wow. A large number, yeah. It's so divided. The Church of Jesus Christ is under siege as many members are living over issues concerning how tithing is spent, how the COVID vaccine issues, and how sexual abuse cases are handled within the church. Many statistical studies show that 50% of the missionaries are leaving the church after serving a mission for them. As I see, there's a conundrum here. Lucifer has to defeat Christianity in order for his plan to succeed. And Heavenly Father cannot succeed with lukewarm people that are not committed to him. In order to have a strong people, he must put them through an altar-type fire to purify them and see where they stand, to see if they are true and faithful in all their teachings and covenants that they have made. Here in verse 4, you will be brought down, and you will speak out of the ground, your speech will mumble out of the dust. Your voice will be as one who has a familiar spirit out of the ground. Your speech will whisper out of the dust. The voice from the dust is the prophets of old speaking to us. If you well, want to read there. Yeah, just to say so far, uh, Nephi's <laughs> explanation of the first four verses in Isaiah, they're... they're really an amazing uh, parallel between the Nephites, uh, the children of Lehi, children of Mulek, and their downfall uh, in the new world really fits those first verses. So that was really amazing. Yeah. Okay, let's go to verse 5 through, looks like verse 12. But the multitude of your foes will be like fine dust, and the multitude of the ruthless ones like chaff that blows away. Yes, it will be in an instant. Suddenly, she will be visited by Yahweh of armies with thunder, with earthquake, with great noise, with whirlwind and storm, and with the flame of a devouring fire. 
talk about that Darwin flyer is a common theme in the last days that uh, if it takes devouring fire from heaven to protect the righteous, it will happen. doesn't say it has to happen, but if that's what it takes, the Lord is prepared to do that. The multitude yeah. of, all, of, of all the nations shall fight against Ariel, even all who fight against her and her stronghold, and who distress her will be like a dream, a vision of the night. It will be like when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he eats, but he awakes, and his hunger isn't satisfied. Or like when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he drinks, but wakes, and behold, he is faint, and he is still thirsty. The multitude of all the nations that fight against Mount Zion will be like that. Pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For Yahweh has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and he has covered your heads, the seers. All vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is educated, saying, Read this, please. And he says, I can't, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to one who is not educated, saying, Read this, please. And he says, I can't read. Now, here in the comparison of Second uh, Nephi 26, um, he really helps us in different areas to expand. In fact, there's many verses that are inserted that helps provide clarity for us. And so, as we read these, um, maybe we can go back and forth here to help us to find clarity in these words that were just said in Nephi, Second Nephi 26, starting in verse 17. For thus saith the Lord God, they shall write things which shall be done among them, and they shall be written and sealed up in a book. And those who have dwindled in unbelief shall not have them, for they seek to destroy the things of God. That is really important right there, that those who have dwindled in unbelief shall not have them, because they just seek to destroy the things of God. In verse 18, wherefore, as those who have been destroyed have been destroyed speedily, and the multitude of their terrible ones shall be a shaft that passes away, yea, thus saith the Lord, it shall be at an instant, suddenly. Verse 19, and it shall come to pass that those who dwindle in unbelief shall be smitten by the hand of the Gentiles. Now, Craig, if you want to describe more of what a Gentile means in this verse, because many times we get confused by societal things and different points in the Scripture. So, Gentiles is a broadly used term. Uh, we have to remember that when Nephi is writing about the Gentiles, he is writing from the point of view of a member of the tribe of Manasseh. So, he's seeing in vision, if you go back and read First Nephi chapters 13, for example, the Gentiles come over to the land that they have settled and they are smitten and driven by the Gentiles. So the, the Gentiles here refers to uh, the Gentile nations. Uh, I would assume that means mainly European, uh, but of course, broadly used, a Gentile from their point of view is anybody who's not of the house of Israel. However, um, we do know that when the tribes were scattered after the Assyrians came into 
uh, Israel. So we had Israel to the north. We had Judah to the south uh, around 750 BC. And the first scattering and conquering of the, the upper half of what used to be the land of Israel. So, But it became the country of Israel. You know, their seeds scattered all over, just like Abraham was promised it would happen. And primarily Ephraim. Uh, in fact, uh, I read some accounts where the people who lived in the in the land of in the is, country of Israel, the upper half, that they were called Ephraimites, and I assume that's because they were so um, so numerous. So we do have uh, the blood of Israel among these nations, but to identify them as a group, they're being identified as the Gentiles, and uh, in other places you see the term Gentiles referring to those who are of the house of Israel who gathered from were gathered from the Gentile nations who are, let's say, church members. But I think in this context, it's referring to the conquering Gentiles who came from Europe. And I'm not justifying this, but the scriptures are explaining that because the people were had dwindled unbelief in the new world, the descendants of Lehi and Mulek, that they were smitten by the hand of the Gentiles. Um, and, and, and there is some evidence also in the writings of Nephi, as the angel told him that the Gentiles, at least when they first came over, they were maybe considered a more righteous people. As we recall, they were escaping religious persecution in the old world and sought for the ability to practice their religion in a new world. So there's an interesting dynamic here that both the angel and Nephi are trying to describe. Yeah, In the next uh, three verses, let's listen closely and see if we can see uh, another way of looking at the Gentiles here. And the Gentiles were lifted up in the pride of their eyes. Very clear important clue here. They have stumbled because of the greatness of their stumbling block. They have built up many churches. Nevertheless, they put down the power and miracles of God, and they preach up unto themselves their own wisdom and their own learning, that they might get gain and grind upon the face of the poor. And there were many churches built up, which caused envies and strifes and malice. There were also secret combinations, even as in times of old, according to the combinations of the devil. For he is the founder of all these things, yea, the founder of murder and the works of darkness. Yea, he leadeth them by the neck with a flaxen cord, until he bindeth them with his strong cords forever. So, for behold, my beloved brethren, I say unto you that the Lord God worketh not in darkness. Going back here for just a second to these verses, holy cow, I myself can see many people lifted up in the pride of their eyes. They worship their money. They worship things. Many churches have been built up, many powerful mega churches. And uh, people fly all over the world in their jets and do all these things. And they put down the miracles of God. They preach unto themselves their own wisdom and their own learning to get gain. 
and grind upon the poor, trying to take more money from the poor for their ministries. They stir up envying, strifes, and malice between churches because they push that they're the right ones. We do see secret combinations today in abundance everywhere we look. So I think that's just really important to take note of here. He doeth nothing, save it for the benefit of the world. For he loveth the world, even that he laid down his own life, that he may draw all men unto him. Wherefore, he commandeth none, that they should not take partake of his salvation. Behold, doth he cry unto any, saying, Depart from me. Behold, I say unto you, Nay. But he saith, Come unto me, all ye ends of the earth, by milk and honey, without money, without price. Behold, he commandeth any that should depart out of the synagogues or out of the houses of worship. Behold, I say unto you, Nay. He commandeth any that they should not partake of his salvation. Behold, I say unto you, Nay. But he hath given it free for all men, and he hath commanded his people that they should persuade all men to repentance. Um, in this, do you have any comments here, Craig? Not really. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, the invitation being open to everybody really strikes a chord as you read this. But I'm also thinking at the same time, it doesn't mean anything goes either, right? It's a free invitation, but there are still, um, you know, requirements for obedience and, and embracing the gospel. <clears throat> but none are turned away. Everybody is welcome to the table. It's really, it just strikes me as such a magnanimous. There's nobody he wants to exclude. It's kind of where later on, I think it says uh, in one of the chapters, Second Nephi, all are alike unto God. God is no respecter of persons, uh, male, female. Uh, the color of your skin doesn't matter. Whether you're bond or free, it doesn't matter. He does not take uh, favorites in that sense. You know, just a few weeks ago, Craig, we were sitting in a Hopi Kiva and listened to them talk to us for two hours, which was such a sacred experience. And I don't think I've ever felt so connected that we were all children of this earth together, that we were all connected. It was such a powerful experience for me. So since our last time trying to record this, <clears throat> uh, we did have a chance to go to what they call Hopi Christmas. We were fortunate enough to meet the people who put on this event every year and throughout the year to bring gifts and relief uh, to the Hopi nation, Hopi land. It's it's my second time going, and I felt very impressed to invite Sean and his wife to come with our family and go down there. And uh, the first for the first, I think I'll, we'll get into the Hopi another time, but I'll, I I do have to share this. I think Sean. So we were invited to enter into Akiva. This group of volunteers who had come down with wood with food, with coal, and we all were invited to come into this kiva in 
I think it's the city of Moncopi, right next to Tuba City. And the man who's in charge or owns the kiva had invited us there. And the the man who's in charge from the states to come into their nation, uh, his name is Mike Sweat. And he told me two or three times, you don't know how lucky you are, you people are to be coming into the kiva. He says, I've only known of three or four people who have been invited in the kiva. And so there we were in this kiva before their ceremonials, uh, their ceremonial month starts in December for this. Uh, they have all different uh, periods and cycles, but this is right before their December ceremonies. And we packed in about 70 plus people in, the, in there. And this man spoke from his heart, like Sean is describing so welcoming and so non-judgmental and so grateful and talked about how when they pray in their kivas, they're praying for the whole world. They don't just pray for themselves and their families. They're praying for the whole world. The word Hopi means peaceful or peaceful people. It also suggests other things, but you could feel it. And one of the men in our group asked him to say a prayer which was absolutely beautiful. He, he spoke it in the Hopi tongue, and then I think he translated it afterwards in English for us. Yeah. And there was there was there was unity. And then uh, one of the members of our group, a, another Christian, uh, a Christian in our group, he gave a prayer, and somebody pointed out that that might have been the first time ever that a Christian prayer was offered in the Kiva, but. In a kiva, but it, it was so welcoming, uh, and the feeling there carried us through that next that next day as we went and delivered these goods by these wonderful volunteers that were there. It was really something else, and we're going to talk more about the Hopi because they have traditions, they have prophecies that have all come true, and they have more that have not yet come true if we don't turn. And repent basically and so yeah. they're right in line with with these verses it's so parallel to what we're learning and i'll go back here and start in 27. he hath commanded any that they should not partake of his salvation behold i say unto you nay but he hath given it free for all men and he hath commanded his people that they should persuade all men to repentance Behold, hath the Lord commanded any that they should not partake of his goodness? Behold, I say unto you, Nay, but all men are privileged, the one like unto another, and none are forbidden. He commandeth that there shall be no priestcrafts, for behold, priestcrafts are that men preach and set themselves up for a light unto the world, that they might get gain and praise of the world. But they seek not the welfare of Zion. I jump in here. Brigham yeah. Young taught that there were four great evils or crafts in the world: doctor craft, lawyer craft, king craft, and priest craft. I think there are a few more today uh, with the advent of technology. But anyway, uh, yeah, any of those which is setting yourself up to get gain and of course one of the one of the difficult ones is priestcraft because 
it's claiming to carry the light of God and then it's just for money, which as we learn in the Book of Mormon, what happens is you just tell people what they want to hear rather right. than the word of God. And people will pay you to reflect back what they want to hear. Uh, they murder and kill the prophets who tell them what they don't want to hear, which is the truth, but they're willing to open up their purses oftentimes to uh, be told things that assuage their, you know, their soothing. desires. Soothing to them in which they don't have to repent. Yeah. And I'll just tell you a story and it's an example. Now, this, of course, goes back uh, centuries, but there was a time uh, in the Catholic Church where they had indulgences. It was one of the things that Martin Luther complained about, and that's one of the reasons Protestantism was formed, was to protest some of these uh, practices of literally paying money in exchange for, uh, you know, your uh, forgiveness of your sins. And I remember walking by a church, the backside of a church, I think it was in Verona, when I visited there in 1993, and I do speak Italian because uh, I served a mission there years before that. But I remember it said on the church, if if you, um, I think it was said, if you say this prayer, it was up there that you'd have X number of days of indulgences. And it was literally carved into the rock on the backside of the church. And that's, a, you know, maybe an extreme example. I don't believe that's done anymore. But it was done for a time. That's that's a blatant example of you know money, or that kind of thing. You just you know you have a you have carte blanche. That's that's not the gospel. Yeah. In verse thirty here, behold, the Lord hath forbidden this thing. Wherefore the Lord God hath given a commandment that all men should have charity, which charity is love. Except they should have charity, they were nothing. Therefore, wherefore, if they should have charity, they would not suffer the labor in Zion to perish. But the labor in Zion shall labor for Zion, for they labor for money, and they shall perish. And again the Lord God hath commanded that men should not murder, that they should not lie, that they should not steal, that they should not take the name of the Lord God in vain, that they should not envy, that they should not have malice, that they should not contend one with another, that they should not commit whoredoms, and that they should none of these things, for whoso, whoso doeth them shall perish. For none of these iniquities come of the Lord, for he doeth that which is good among the children of men, and he doeth nothing save it be plain unto the children of men. And he inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none that come unto him, black, white, bond, free, male, and female. And he remembereth the heathen and all that are like unto God, both Jew and Gentile. There's that verse I was talking about, all that are like unto God right there. And uh, just to point at this out, it really is um, an evil thing or certainly a gross misunderstanding to lay at the feet of the Lord um, when bad things happen. Well, God, why did you let this happen? God does not is not the author of evil in any way, shape, or form. It's not uh, fair to blame God when things go bad. 
and and uh, I think what people are really saying is, why don't you intervene all the time and stop bad from happening? Uh, that may be a different discussion. It has to do with our agency and why we're here on the earth and the, and the things that we agreed to go through while on the earth. But anyway, it, God is not creating evil. He's not the author of evil. So we can talk, it's a, more for an in-depth discussion sometime, but just remember God, good, God is, provides goodness. That, that is what he does. And sometimes he allows us to go through tough things so that we can grow and he doesn't extricate us from those difficult situations. Sometimes he does. Other times we have to get through it. I have a daughter who's serving a mission for the church right now, and she has some tough days. And I reminded her this last week, it's the tough days that, you know, the growth comes from. When you have a tough day and you can overcome the challenges, that's when the growth occurs. Unfortunately, growth does not occur occur when everything's rosy it occurs when we are having tough times we have to reach out and seek the lord and then we are strengthened let's look on at second uh, nephi 27 nephi expounds upon the statements of isaiah and reorders the verse in some cases this gives us important clues as to the timeline of these events in Second Nephi 27, And when that day shall come, they shall be visited of the Lord of hosts. Now in Isaiah, he's referred to as Yahweh of armies. With thunder, with earthquake, with great noise, with storm, with tempest, and with the flame of devouring fire. And we see from the words of Isaiah that Yahweh of armies has not yet visited the earth with thunder, with earthquake, with great noise, with whirlwind, with storm, and with flame of devouring fire. It has not yet been as a night vision yet. Now these words, and this goes in conjunction, I believe, with John the Revelator's description in Revelations 8, verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden Caesar, and there was given to him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came from the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it to earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. I think this is so key here in tying the events and the sequences and pulling a piece out of this other puzzle box that we were just talking about to fit in and join with the other puzzle pieces here. In fact, it's worth saying that after Nephi, or while he was in vision and the angel was walking him through in First Nephi chapters, I think it was uh, 13 through 16, in that, in that range, uh, there were things he saw that the angel said, you can't write about that. That piece of the puzzle has been reserved for, for John, John the Revelator, to explain. So what you're bringing in now, Sean, are some of the things that uh, perhaps, you know, Nephi was not allowed to amplify or explain fully. Do you want to read that next verse there, Craig? 
Yeah. And all the nations that fight against Zion and that distress her shall be as a dream of a night vision. Yea, it shall be unto them even so as unto a hungry man which dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. Or, like unto a thirsty man which dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. Yea, even so shall the multitude of all nations be that fight against Mount Zion. They think they're going to be satisfied by eradicating or eliminating Zion, that the Lord is going to establish this kingdom. But it's not going to satisfy them. It's not going to, uh, it, because it's it's uh, it's it's fighting against God. It's it's there's nothing fulfilling about that prospect. Yeah. This verse also gives us such a key point here. In Isaiah, he refers to Ariel, but here he's referring to Zion. And this gives us a lot of clarification. Uh, we can look now more on really in thinking about the whole house of Israel. What is a Zion? A people who are of one mind and one heart and one purpose in acting as Christ would. Here Isaiah is looking from the standpoint of the people of Zion at the nations and peoples that distress them. And it will seem as a dream or a night vision. So in the Lord's time scale and everything, it will whoosh by. It will, in his eyes, seem like a two, three-minute storm at the most, you know. And it may feel a little bit longer, but as I know that we stand in the millennium, and the things that I saw, we will look back at it, and it will seem like just a, a bad tornado that came over us. Even though it seemed very intense in the moments and everything, we will look back on it as a whoosh. Do you want to go into this next part, Craig? Yeah, let's read uh, Isaiah 29.9 and then compare it with what uh, Nephi records of the same words. 29.9, pause and wonder, blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. So in 27.4, it says, for behold, all you that doeth iniquity, stay yourselves and wonder. For you shall cry out and cry, yea, ye shall be drunken, but not with wine. You shall stagger, but not with strong drink. So this is a, a condition of those who are in iniquity. Very clarifying, very helpful. And this one I really love, this clarification <laughs> that we're coming up on here. Isaiah 29.10, For Yahweh has poured out on you a spirit of deep sleep, and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and he has covered your heads, the seers. Notice below the words that are added in the verse by Nephi, which will make the meaning more clear. If you want to read that one, Craig. For behold, the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. For behold, ye have closed your eyes, and ye have rejected the prophets. The other one says you've closed your eyes to the prophets, but ye, meaning the people who are in sin, rejected the prophets, and your rulers and the seers hath he covered because of your iniquity. Very, very clarifying here. We might ask ourselves, has God poured out upon us the spirit of deep sleep because we have closed our, our eyes and rejected the prophets and our rulers? Has God covered our seers because of our iniquity? In D&C 112, in verses 23 to 24, holds more secrets to this time that we are in. Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
darkness covereth the whole earth, and gross darkness the minds of the people, and all flesh has become corrupt before my face. Behold, vengeance cometh up speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, of lamentation, as a whirlwind, it shall come upon the face of the earth, saith the Lord. As an example of rejecting the words of the prophets, let's look at how the family proclamation to the world has changed and has been bent to fit our needs. From the time it was originally given, most couples both work so that they can have more worldly things, thus ignoring the upbringing of the children. As a second example, President Nelson challenged, changed the home teaching and the visiting teaching program to the ministering program. When COVID hit and the members took the program's design as an excuse not to connect with their assigned families, now the program has fallen to the lowest levels of visitation ever recorded. It was given to us by President Nelson as a way to become a Zion society, to connect with the people, as did Enix people that were translated and taken to heaven. But we ignored the words of the prophet, and thus we have fallen into iniquity, and lots of words and stakes have lost members. Now, all vision or words of advice from our prophets has stopped, and they vomit or regurgitate the words the past words of the prophets, as Isaiah said in Isaiah 19, verses 11 through 18. This example shows us how Isaiah has gone back to expound upon the words that God gave him to bring forth more importance to them. If you want to go from there, Craig. Isaiah 29, 11, <clears throat> and then we'll compare it with 2 Nephi 27, 6. Verse 11, all vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is educated, saying, read this, please. And he says, I can't, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to one who is not educated, saying, read this, please. And he says, I can't read. So here's how it, how it is said in this verse, 27, 6. And it shall come to pass that the Lord shall bring forth unto you the words of a book, and they shall be the words of them which have slumbered. And the book shall be sealed behold the book shall be sealed and in the book shall be a revelation from god from the beginning of the world to the ending thereof this is so important to think and dwell upon i know i have misunderstood this as a youth and not understood the meaning of this verse we might ask ourselves do we have a book that has a record from the beginning of the world to the ending thereof no, we do not. In the record of the Jaredites, as found by the people of Lemai and given to Mosiah to translate by the means of a Urim and Thummim, we see that Moroni abridges or condenses the words of the Jaredites. Here are the words of Moroni concerning what was contained in that record, Ether 1.3. And as I suppose that the first part of this record, which speaks concerning the creation of the world, and also Adam, and an account from excuse me, an account from that time even to the great tower, and what so things transpired among the children of men until this time is had among the Jews. Therefore, I do not write these things which transpired from the days of Adam until that time, and they are had upon the place, and also 
And whoso findeth them, the same shall have power that he may get the full account. And behold, I give not the full account, but a part of the account I give from the tower until they were destroyed. We can see here that we have not received this record from the beginning of the world to the end thereof. It's something that I so desire to see and understand. What would you say, Craig? I would say that, yeah, this is this is bringing to light some new information for me. I knew that the I knew that Moroni <laughs> skipped over the creation part. Uh, I believe my own opinion is that that information that was in the book of Ether must have come from Adam's record. And I think the only place I've ever seen where a complete account from the beginning to the end of the world that was ever written is, I think it says in the book of Moses, in the Probate Price, that Adam wrote down an account when he gathered his children and prophesied uh, about what would befall all future generations, if I remember correctly. And so that book of remembrance that Adam kept, maybe it's there. Um, either that or Christ may have divulged information to the Nephites when he visited. We know that we only have a partial account. And the Lord says in 3rd Nephi, I think it's, well, it's anyway between 3rd Nephi 26 or 27, I would, I would estimate. It says that until we, um, you know, digest the part we were given, and our faith is tried, we won't receive the rest of the record of the Savior that he gave. So we have, as we know, to now back up, we know that two-thirds approximately of the Book of Mormon were banded, and Joseph was not permitted to translate those records, and they've been saved and held back. <clears throat> Elder McConkie, in one article I read, said, that we wouldn't need that until the millennium. I My opinion differs on that. I think that the promise is that we can obtain the record <clears throat> according to our faithfulness, and I'm hoping that before the millennium we'll get it because I think there's things in there that we need to prepare for the millennium. Exactly. I think that account is actually given in the Doctrine and Covenants where he talks about Adam... Uh, talking to his posterity and it's in the same meeting where he is right. appointed michael at that same chapter um, i can look it up while we're talking in my handy dandy database if you <laughs> want me to look while you're, while you're talking I'll, I'll look it up here that sounds great um this is you know another thing bruce porter brings up who's the church historian for more than 30 years that the book of abraham was not completely translated we're missing a whole section there of the book of abraham and none of the book of joseph of egypt was translated which pertains have many important things uh joseph smith was killed before he completed those uh, two books which leads to a lot of excitement on my part to know what is in those sections Why don't you keep going while I look this up? In 2 Nephi 27, 8, 
Wherefore, because the things which are sealed up and the things which are sealed shall not be delivered in a day of the wickedness and abominations of the people, wherefore the book shall be kept from them. This is so interesting to ponder on. I see it happening at a time when the Christians feel troubled and confused by the things that they are experiencing and seeing. So they are seeking God's advice in prayer more than ever, and they are coming to God with a broken heart and a contrite spirit to seek God's will. So, you know, where these things which are sealed up are saved for a time when we are desirous, when we won't take them for granted that they will mean something to us overall. In uh, 2 Nephi 27, 9, But the book shall be delivered unto a man, and he shall deliver the words of the books, which are the words of those who have slumbered in the dust, and he shall deliver those words unto another. Well, this, once again, is a great clue. A man, not an angel, gives the book to another man, and this could be a translated man in charge of watching over the hidden records of the earth. He is instructed by God to give them to another man. Now, this story is awful reminiscent of the Book of Mormon, except for we have an angel giving them to a man and not a man giving them to a man, because an angel could not touch, or, you know, we couldn't feel him, whereas a man could, like, physically lift something or physically touch another's hand. So this is another clue. So let me uh, go back to this point that I was looking up, just to fill in this detail. Doctrine and Covenants, section 107, verse 56 and I'll read verse 57. And Adam stood up in the midst of the congregation, and notwithstanding he was bowed down with age. What was he, like 900 and something years old? I 36. guess he'd be bowed down. <clears throat> Being full of the Holy Ghost, predicted whatsoever should befall his posterity unto the latest generation. And then this little uh, morsel in the next verse. These things were all written in the book of Enoch, and are to be testified of in due time. So apparently, at least the record and account of, of Adam from the beginning to the end, at least the end part we know, were are contained in the book of Enoch. And actually in the book of Enoch, uh, which is partly quoted in the book of Moses, which is the vision Joseph received when he was translating the book of Genesis, we know the part about the beginning of things in the book of Moses, but apparently Enoch also wrote about these future events that we're going to get in a, in due time. Love that phrase, due time. You know, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it covers a multitude of uh, sins as far as trying to guess the timing. You know, when I was uh, uh, the, in my patriarchal blessing, talking about getting married in due time and. It was, uh, the due time was uh, not what I expected. <laughs> so, due time. Uh, it's like when the Lord's, when are, you, when are we going to do Zion in section 101 uh, of the DNC? And the Lord said, when I will. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, hey, I'm not going to tell you. And I, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining about that. Uh, right. Because God has his reasons to not divulge 
information. Can I just go? I, I can go one step further. Sure. Um, remember how close we got to the Savior being killed, let's say, if that were possible, uh, after King Herod found out that in the little town of Bethlehem, that was where the king was going to be born. And were it not for Joseph's night vision, I guess, or dream, they would have, he could have been slaughtered uh, when they sent soldiers to kill children under the age of two. Uh, so just that little revelation that in the book of, uh, in the Old Testament, I think, it, I'm not sure which which book, uh, if it's Zechariah, I don't remember, but when it mentioned Bethlehem being the town from which the Savior would come, uh, that almost led to, with the sign in the heaven and that, it led to almost a disaster. Likewise, when the Lord was being born and the sign that Simon the Lamanite gave that there would be a day and a night as if it were one day, uh, when it didn't come at the, well, it did come at the appointed time, but it came at the last possible moment <clears throat> when the lives of the believers were threatened with assassination. Uh, it, I mean, the timing was incredible. And again, a prophecy which Satan was able to take and, you know, infect people so much with hatred that that almost led to a disaster. So you can see why God withholds information because <clears throat> in the hands of wicked people, it can it can generate hatred and, and it can generate destruction and death and persecution. So thank, thank you, Lord, for keeping from us information until the time it's needed. So important. Now we're in 2 Nephi 27.10. We're going to see this uh, reflecting back on the message in verse 7. But the words which are sealed he shall not deliver, neither shall he deliver the book. For the book shall be sealed by the power of God, and the revelation which is sealed up shall be kept in the book until its own due time of the Lord, that they may come forth. But for behold, they reveal all things from the foundation of the world unto the end thereof. So he states this in just slightly a different way, but reiterates the, the message here. So we get twice that it is said that things reveal all things from the foundation of the world to the end thereof. Must Incredible be promise. Incredible. And do you want to read Second Nephi 27, 11? And the day cometh that the words of the book, which were sealed, shall be read upon the housetops. And they shall be read by the power of Christ, and all things shall be revealed unto the children of men, which ever have been among the children of men, and which ever will be, even unto the end of the earth. Wow. We have, have we seen a time yet when the record of the earth from the beginning to the end thereof has been read from the housetops? No. No. Definitely in my, a future. In my walk with the <laughs> Savior, I saw... This was being done by the 144,000 who have a sure witness of Christ and can testify with authenticity that Christ lives, as Talmadge describes in his book, Jesus the Christ. And I, this is going to be such a special time as I saw not enough copies being around and brethren sitting on the rooftops because the crowd has grown so big and they need their voices to carry further, to carry the message of this sealed book. 
Charles D. Evans in his vision, in his night vision recorded and published in the improvement era in the 1890s said that during the millennium, we would have these libraries we could go to and using Urim and Thummims, we could learn anything we wanted to learn. And he said questions about the age of the earth, how it was formed, all these issues were settled forever just by being able to look into these uh this uh this light that we could look into and see that's so powerful would you read the next verse there craig verse 12 where wherefore at that day when the book shall be delivered unto the man of whom i have spoken the book shall be hid from the eyes of the world that the eyes of none shall behold it save it be three witnesses shall behold it by the power of god besides him to whom the book shall be delivered and they shall testify to the truth of the book and the things therein. This is the same pattern as was done with the Book of Mormon. This is part of the reason so many people have misinterpreted this chapter of Isaiah to think that this was the Book of Mormon itself. Well, we see a lot of duplicity in these in verses where they have not just a singular, but two or three times the pattern is repeated. And that's you know, that's the beautiful thing about the Lord's plan is that the pattern keeps repeating. So it's not strange to us that we will know it, you know, just like with the first coming, this, the pattern of the second coming is very similar. Well, to put it together, uh, back in the time of the Savior, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, all words are established. That's the, I guess, a, probably a Jewish law. You had to have witnesses. I remember in the Book of Mormon, that principle and the crowd reaction when Amulek, missionary companion to Alma, the younger, spoke and confirmed the words, the people were shocked that there was another witness. So this is this is a this is a a pattern and, and it fits with the other part, which is that if the Lord just gave everything to people, people would seek to destroy it. And so he gives it to a few and people can mock and deride that it wasn't you know, generally available. We don't have the Book of Mormon under glass in the Smithsonian, right? But yeah. it doesn't work that way It because these things will be focused on and they'll be destroyed. So the Lord has to uh, contain the availability. In 2 Nephi 27, 13, And there is none other which shall view it, save it be a few according to the will of God, to bear testimony of his word unto the children of men. For the Lord God hath said that the words of the faithful should speak as if it were from the dead. So as an, as an example of that, <laughs> uh, the Book of Mormon, there were more people than three who saw the Book of Mormon, right? There were three witnesses. There were a group of eight who did not have a spiritual witness, but they physically handled it. And wasn't it uh, the mother of the Whitmers that was shown the Book of Mormon also? Um, she was allowing her home to be used. And so others did, you know, witness it, right. not in the official formal way that's on a witness page in the Book of Mormon, but, but more than one person saw the, the plates. Yeah. Do you want to read this uh, verse uh, 14? Wherefore, the Lord God will proceed to bring forth the words of the book, and in the mouth of as many witnesses as seemeth him good, will he establish his word, and woe be unto him that rejecteth the word of God, exclamation point. Exactly. Well, 
woe is always a word too that we want to stop and really pay attention. It's you don't want to miss those. This is connected to the Gentiles rejecting the words as shown in Third Nephi sixteen ten, and thus commandeth the Father that I should say unto you that <clears throat> at the day when the Gentiles shall sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel and shall be lifted up in the pride of their hearts above all nations and above all the people of the whole earth and shall be filled with all manner of lyings, deceits, mischiefs, and all manner of hypocrisy and murders, priestcrafts, whoredoms, secret combinations. And if they shall do all these things and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, behold, saith the Father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. And I will remember my covenant, which I hath made unto my people, O house of Israel, and I will bring my gospel unto them. And I will show unto thee, O house of Israel, that the Gentiles shall not have power over you, but I will remember my covenant unto you, O house of Israel, and ye shall come unto a knowledge of the fullness of my gospel. But if the Gentiles will repent and return unto me, saith the Father, behold, they shall be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. This, I make a comment. Oh, go ahead. And I'm like, yeah. I'll make a comment after your comment. This is so important because in Third Nephi, we have the Savior standing right there, and they're recording directly the words of him standing right there. And he's working to provide clarity for us, which is repeating Isaiah and repeating things that Nephi said to provide us clarity and a focal point of how important things are. Go ahead, Craig. There's so much to say here, uh, so much to say, but let me just focus a couple of things. Uh, fullness of the gospel is a very loaded phrase. In the Doctrine and Covenants, it says we have the fullness of the gospel. Uh, however, how do I say this? The gospel of Jesus Christ is faith, repentance, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. But there's more information, there's more light knowledge about the gospel that is found in the other two-thirds of the Book of Mormon, which we so far have not been ready to receive. President Nelson said that we, at the, we are at the beginning of the Restoration, which I came to that conclusion a little bit before it was said. I didn't talk about it publicly, but the first time it was mentioned was M. Russell Ballard said that the restoration is continues to unfold. And I went, yes, that's been my impression from reading the Savior's words in Third Nephi. And then when President Nelson became the prophet, in an interview, he said, you know, take your vitamins. Uh, we're going to start seeing some amazing things happen. But in that same uh, interview, he said that the restoration, we're just at the early stages of the restoration. So in that sense, we don't have the fullness, but there seems to be some kind of a fullness that is coming uh, that is going to be rejected by the Gentiles, whether it's in its current form or what we're about to receive. Can you scroll up a little bit? I want to make one more comment on that verse. Yeah. Uh, and that is, notice how the Lord... This is a little nuanced here, but the Lord says in the first part of this verse, he's like, they're going to reject the fullness. They're going to reject, they're going to sit against the gospel. They're definitely going to reject it. And I'm going to turn it over to the uh, house of Israel, which is the, the work of the father that is discussed in 3 Nephi 21. But then he puts the if, so they're going to do it. They're going to do it. 
And if they do these things, then I'm going to take the fullness away from them. So he knows it's going to happen, I think, generally speaking, but he always leaves it open. He never pronounces our fate. Even with full knowledge of the future, he's always hoping and counting on those who will repent and they'll be counted among the house of Israel. So I think it's interesting. He says, it's going to happen. going to happen. If it happens, then, you know, he has to make sure to throw that in because we have to make a major course correction. Let's just put it that way to prevent exactly. this from happening. So important to be prepared to receive change and be open to change. In Second Nephi twenty-seven fifteen, but behold, it shall come to pass that the Lord God shall say unto him to whom he shall deliver the book: Take these words which are not sealed and deliver them to another, that he may show them unto the learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And the learned shall say, Bring hither the book, and I will read them. Once again, we have the same pattern that happened in bringing forth of the Book of Mormon. But this book will include a revelation from God from the beginning of the world to the end thereof, and reveal all things from the foundation of the world to the end thereof. So we will see a clear record of things that went on in the pre-existence. I saw this record as connecting the beliefs and filling in the beliefs of all Christians around the world. And it comes forth when the Christians are under duress, and are seeking God's hand of protection. I have seen in my walk with the Savior how this upcoming things really tied us all together as Christians, and we were not fighting once one against another, that we all realized that we had some thread of the truth left with us, and that we should honor one another and strengthen one another and help one another as Christians. Not as individual sex or anything, but we were to all be one brethren. If you want to read the next, uh, like four verses, there, Craig, or so. Verse sixteen, beginning there, and now behold, because of the glory of the world and to get gain, they will say this, meaning they want to translate the book, but not for and not for the glory of God. And the man shall say, I cannot bring the book for it is sealed. Then shall the learned say, I cannot read it. Wherefore, it shall come to pass that the Lord will deliver again the book and the words thereof unto him that is not learned, and the man that is not learned shall say, I am not learned. It sounds like he's talking to the Lord. Then shall the Lord God say to him, The learned shall not read them, for they have rejected them. And I am able to do mine own work. Wherefore, thou shalt read the words which I shall give unto thee. So powerful. And so much like unto the story of the Book of Mormon coming forth, that same pattern is repeating itself. Here we see the man given these plates, but he doesn't know the language that these records are written in. This is the same pattern of revealing things as with the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith. God always repeats patterns so that they are not strange to us. I am sure he will use a Urim and Thummim, as other prophets have used, to interpret the writings of these records. If you want to read the next two, Craig. Touch not the things which are sealed, for I will bring them forth in mine own due time. There's a due time again. Or I will show unto the children of men that I am able to do mine own work. 
Yeah, that's the work of the Father. He can do his own work. We're about to see this unfold very soon. Wherefore, when thou hast read the words which I have commanded thee, and obtained the witnesses which I have promised unto thee, then shalt thou seal up the book again and hide it up unto me, that I may preserve the words which thou hast not read, until I shall see fit in mine wisdom to reveal all things unto the children of men. Here we see the instructions to this man to stop interpreting the things at a certain point, a certain place in this record. Then we see that this man is instructed to stop and hide the record again until the Lord sees that we are ready to receive more light and knowledge. In other words, we have built up a foundation upon which we can learn, for we learn line upon line and precept upon precept. To be a little bit more clear here, we have a, a sealed book that we don't have, and within the sealed book, we have another book that is sealed up, which we can't open yet at this time. Or we could say that he opened the uh, the sealed portion, and then the Lord said, seal it up, meaning he broke the seal, but he needs to have it closed up again because it's not time to do the whole thing. That's how I look yeah. at it. But. I see it as a actually a physical, like almost sealed there, a wax deal covering the edge of these pages so that you can't go further mm. now what i saw in the latter parts is once we are ready to receive and understand things that we would see how god became god and how we became to come here at this point in this time of this earth and know many other hidden things and how one day we will have these other steps to become like unto him, just as he went through the steps here. And uh, but we first have to have a foundation to learn these deeper things and these these really special meanings. And this is kind of reiterated in Second Esdras, I believe it is chapter fourteen and fifteen, right in that area. And. Uh, so many parallels in some other scriptures like Second Esdras. If you want to go on to verse 23. For behold, I am God, I am a God of miracles, and I will show unto the world that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I work not among the children of men, save it be according to their faith. As I was shown in my walk with the Savior, the laws and statutes given to Adam and Eve will be revealed in clarity as to why they were here to receive a body and that they were expected to learn what they were expected to learn while they were here on this earth. These writings clearly reveal all things expected of Adam and Eve to return to Heavenly Father and the necessary steps to become as Him. Once again, this theme and this understanding is reiterated in Second Esdras. Um, it holds many treasures. Um, there, there can be no ambiguity on our part of what's expected of us. There can be no blurry words, no blurry understandings or anything. It has to be exactly as Adam and Eve received it, so that the expectations for us are clear and understood. And I can't stress that enough. If you want to go on, Greg. And again, it shall come to pass that the Lord shall say unto him that shall read the words that shall be delivered him. Keep going. Yeah, go ahead. Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord said, because this people draws near with their mouth and honors me, I am honored with their lips. But they have removed 
their heart far from me, and their fear of me is like a commandment of men which has been taught. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, yea, excuse me, even a marvelous work and a wonder, and the wisdom of the wise will perish, and the understanding of their prudent men will be hidden. This is stressed again and uh, clarified in wording, I believe, uh, in the Second Nephi 27, 25. For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of man. Therefore, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, yea, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise and their learned shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent shall be hid. So, so much. To, go ahead. So much to think about here, because I have seen in my years on this earth many people drawing near to Heavenly Father with their mouth, and yet their hearts are far from him. They act one day on Sunday and one day on Monday through Saturday. Their actions and things are not consistent throughout the week, and they believe they must do this to survive. And that has always bothered me in a deep way. In true Chaya, do you want to say something here, Craig? Just a comment on these verses. Uh, maybe it looks like you're going another direction with these, so I'll just say it now. Um, the marvelous work and a wonder, just to make a comment there, of course, throughout history, there have been marvelous works and wonders performed by the Lord, the parting of the Red Sea, the survival of the house of Israel in the desert for 40 years with manna and on and on and on. There's lots of marvelous works and wonders. Uh, LeGrand Richards wrote a book about the restoration, the beginning of the restoration, beginning, beginning with Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon, A Marvelous Work and a Wonder. That's the title of the book. Probably the biggest bestseller outside the scriptures that the church has ever had. But that phrase, Marvelous Work and a Wonder, that Jesus is using in Second Nephi, Third Nephi 16, and then again in 2021, 20, uh, it is definitely referring to the period of time when the Gentiles reject the fullness of the gospel, speaking broadly, and he turns his attention and fulfills the covenants that he made with the remnants of Israel, which include the house of Judah, the tribes in the new world that have survived from Manasseh, and the ten tribes, and then the Gentiles can join them. That is the great marvelous work. Uh, the Savior said in 30 Pythorian, for my sake the Father will work a work, which will be great and marvelous. I mean, it is clearly a marker uh, there's a book out by Ellison Bridges I'll talk more about called The Great Marvelous Work of the Father, which just came out, um, and it covers this thing ad nauseum. But anyway, uh, it is something that is in the future. It is not what has ever happened up to now. It is something that happens when the Gentiles reject the fullness if they don't repent. Yeah, I won't go into it here, but in the notes here, you can will find it ties to how in the state of Utah and other areas we say one thing and yet do another, uh, which is very reminiscent of this verse. In order to uh, correct the situation and turn the hearts of the children back to him, I think it's important to refer to DNC 112. 
and upon my house it shall begin, and from my house it shall go forth. First among those first among those among you, saith the Lord, who shall have professed to know my name, and have not known me, and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house. And then in verse 27, Therefore see to it that ye trouble not yourselves concerning the affairs of my church in this place, saith the Lord. But purify your hearts before me. Then go ye into all the world and preach my gospel unto every creature who has not received it. It's so easy in this day and age to see faults among not only the leaders of our church, but the leaders of other churches and the way things are going. And I think this is absolutely key that we trouble not ourselves concerning the affairs of my church in this place. To just focus on ourselves and purifying our hearts before him and going on to all the world. Let's take control of those things that we have control over and focus on ourselves inside and not upon the outward things that we cannot control. It's really good advice, even today. <clears throat> um, the next few verses, I think we're just going to go ahead, if you want to, Craig, and read from uh, Nephi's version of them, because the words are so, there's not very much changed in those. So you can compare them on the website once they're posted, but you've marked the changes, which is which is nice here, too. Second Nephi 27-27, And woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. And they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? And they also say, Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. But behold, I will show unto them, saith the Lord of hosts, that I know all their works. For that day, or shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? Verse 28. Yeah. But behold, saith the Lord of hosts, I will show unto the children of men that it is a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a force. Verse 29. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Verse 30. And the meek shall also increase, and their joy shall be in the Lord, and the poor among them, excuse me, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. 31 and 32. For as surely as the Lord liveth, they shall see that the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off. And they that make man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. The words of this book shall reach those that have been spiritually deaf and blind. God at this time in the earth's history will have allowed Lucifer to completely reveal his plan, and now God will completely reveal his plan through the amazing witnesses of Christ. In this way, and only this way, can the children of man fully have the opportunity to choose which plan they will follow. This is also another reason why I believe that the 
the speech that Adam gave to his posterity has to come forth before the millennium because there can be no ambiguity in what is expected of us because during that last three and a half years of judgment is really the judgment of the wicked and the separation of the wicked. But it can't be done unless the people truly know what they're being judged for and against there. Do you want to read 33? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children, the work of my hand in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. This is so amazing, as God gives the meek and the lowly of heart an opportunity to not be oppressed by others. They will be able to stand proudly and profess their love for God and His plan of salvation and redemption to return back to His presence again. It's such a beautiful plan, and we can see many other chapters starting to tie back into this message, and this is why Isaiah gave us that quick overview of chapters 1 through 27 and tied them together. And now we're going to go back and we're focusing on individual points within this that were very important for Isaiah to reiterate the message to us from. Well, have we come to the end of chapter 29? For yes, the second time? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I don't really have any final comments. I think I've made everything that I wanted to bring up along the way, uh, the points made. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, it just uh, brings such peace to my soul to understand Isaiah and to read these words. And I hope that you, as a listener, will find the same joy that we do in listening to these words and finding the meaning and the peace that can come to your life from these words. Very good, Sean. You have the last word. And we'd like to thank our listeners for hanging in there during our long absence. We will pick it up again and continue through the remaining 37 chapters of the book of Isaiah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This uh, has been Vision of Zion. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.